You're listening to The Fat Guys here on The Fog Network. I'm your host, Matt Rosen, along with my fellow subject matter enthusiast and co-host, Paul Dickerson. Our goal is to be an industry source giving real insights into the renewable energy world. We strive to bring about information on how everyday life impacts the renewable world that surrounds us, with a focus on educating listeners on the history of the industry, its lessons, and the real-world impactful solutions that have come from that, along with how personal, community, and global-level decisions impact the circular fats, oils, and grease economy. Good morning. Welcome to our very first episode of Fat Guys Podcast. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Matt? It's November in Chicago, and it's nearly, what is it, 50 degrees, 49 degrees? And for a November day to be 49 degrees, I'll take it. Sun's out, dogs are happy, wife's happy, so nothing to complain about. There you go. 81 and sunny down here in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all of us live in Florida. (laughs) So we're here to talk about very seemingly simple topic. What is fog? This whole network we're on, the fat guys, it's fat is the F in fog. It's the name of our podcast. And uh, it's not the fog that you drive through on the road. It's uh, interesting that for me, that term is kind of taken from wastewater treatment and they don't want fog most of the time. And the challenge is with fog and they conglomerated fats, oils, and greases together where they are three categories, but they're one item when it comes to uh, wastewater treatment processing. So what are fats, oils, and greases? That one's for you. Oh, <laughs> fats, oils, and greases are primarily triglycerides. They could be anything from the uh, oil, chemical, commercial cooking, or animal protein world. So think of these as byproducts when, when we're cooking, say, your steak on the grill and you get a little bit of the drippings out down there. That is fog. Fog is also uh, when you fry your French fries. You get the leftovers after frying your French fries. That is fog. If I crush soybeans and I get soybean oil out of it, that's also fog. So fog is a whole basket of products that are all triglycerides that comprise what we would call fats, oils, and greases in their different states. Triglycerides. Here we go. What is a triglyceride? So I always used to think oils, 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 oils. I got into this, oh yeah, the oils. And then one day I heard, yeah, they're taking the fog out of the tank and they're making fuel out of it. And I didn't know what they're talking about. I'm like, like fog from the road? Like how are you making, they're just like getting the water in the air and this fuel and there's like, no, fog, fats, oils, and greases. I'm like, oh, how do you do that? And that's kind of how I became a biosystems engineering major was I was so fascinated by taking these products and turning them into fuel. And they're like, yeah, it's a, like you just said, it's a triglyceride. They're all the same thing. I'm like, so like fat from an animal is the same thing as soybean oil? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which it's not, but it is. And it's fascinating to me uh, when we get down to what this triglyceride is. Triglyceride, which tri is for your three fatty acids, and the glyceride is this glycerol head they're attached to. What makes these interesting is these fatty acid chains come in all different shapes and sizes. And that's what really helps change some of the components of a fat or an oil. There's other components that change things like sulfur content or IV, which is the iodine content or iodine value. And as you change these little subcomponents in a fat or an oil, you get very, very different acting fats and oils. But at the core, all of them can become fuel, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, most of them. We're, we're very good at manipulating uh, a few of those very well and very succinctly every day, but not all of them yet. There are some strange triglycerides that we're still working on right now. Right. The commercialized ones, we do very well. We do very well with. I know there's a lot of research into algae oil and, and growing algae and crushing algae and using algae, algal-based triglyceride oils. They're a little bit farther behind than uh, your soybeans and your canolas and even many of your animal fats in the renewable fuels world. Working on insects too, Matt. There are two groups right now specifically trying to take uh, and raise insects and crush insects for its fat content. What sort of insects? Right now, the, the, the one company that does this the most is a company called EnviroFlight, and uh, they're using black soldier flies. And they're using it, I believe, at the larva stage, either the larva or the pupa stage, and when they're the, their highest concentration of fat. And uh, yeah, they're crushing those for their fat. They're, they're uh, both protein content and fat content. To me, that's an incredible thing. I mean, we could go back to fats and oils and, and fats, the history of using fats and, and rendering and uh, hunter-gatherers and using every, every bit and getting better at using every bit of the animal. We've traditionally thought, you know, fats come from animals and now it's, well, fats come from insects too. And it's hard to think you take this little tiny bug and you put it next to a cow, both of them can produce fat for you if you want. It's incredible how far we've come from woolly mammoths up to, up to insects. And a lot of things in between. And don't forget to call me Ishmael. <laughs> That's right. That's... We, we had that whole series of whales in between where uh, we were, the spermaceti whale, we were going after spermaceti oil, became the highest quality and value lamp oil that was out there for a long period of time. And then Matt, I think we both just finished a book recently uh, called Extra Virgin. Or was it Extra Virginity or Extra Virgin? Extra virginity. Extra, Extra virginity, virginity. The history of olive oil. And I think that was a fascinating topic because you learn like how old and how long have humans been manipulating these triglycerides for different uses, whether it was food or fuel. So making, making lamps to make light oil out of these things or using it as lubricants in the rope industry or something else, or of course, uh, consuming it. Yeah. So that's a book. We started a book club and that was our either second or third book that we read. And you'd read it in the past and like, this would be a good book. It's definitely directly correlated to our industry, and there's so much in there that has history repeating itself that will be for another episode. But the base in there was when they were making this oil, they'd have to decide, and they call it lampante, which is like a derogatory slur for olive oil. It's saying, that's not good enough to eat. That needs to go to energy or to light or to candles. And that was a huge history lesson on the start of the calorie versus the BTU. What do you use this product for? Are you going to eat the oil? Are you going to eat the fat? Are you going to use it for energy or for candles or oleochemical? They use it for all sorts of things now, like cosmetics, waxes, lubricants, etc. But reading that book, it was so funny to me that uh, there was so much history about Lampante oil and oil that's deemed beneath the edible oil. And now it's you can go to the grocery store and they say any anything you pull off the shelf, they'll call Lampante oil too. <laughs> so. There was a bit of that in there, but uh, yeah, to me, human ingenuity, the human imagination, and, and for how long when we have these extra things that are left over, these byproducts. So you're making something and you have something that's left over afterwards. To me, that's, that's part of the narrative of, of fat soils and greases. We were chasing woolly mammoth off cliffs or we were harvesting a, a cow to eat. We had the leftovers. What do you do with those? And in the history of humanity, I think you've pointed this out, Matt, is, is about how we reuse those products over and over and over again. So 
that's why I enjoy it. It's kind of fun. It's all about that circular economy and sustainability. Right. And that's kind of how fats, oils, and greases became a center part of the renewable industry is because it's the secondary product. Example today, when we crush soybeans or canola, it's for the meal, right? We need to feed animals. And then it was, what do you do with the oil? And they were mixing it a lot with food. There was plenty of historical uses. And just more recently, and by recently, the past few decades, it was a huge push for this byproduct can become fuel. We can grow our own fuel and get less dependent on a fossil fuel. And I think we both agree that hydrocarbon-based energy is still the best energy source out there. But there are other options that can be integrated into that and create a happy mix of the two. And in a lot of cases, add value and create what has created with the renewable fuels industry, a multi-billion dollar industry out of it. It's certainly part of the solution. And there's a lot of robust discussions about what is what is the best use, what is the highest purpose use, but it's certainly part of the solution today. I'd like to think that uh, perpetuating the solutions that already have been created is one reason why I'm in this industry, and then to create new solutions. And it's kind of why I wanted this podcast, and we talked about it, was I might not have the intellectual ingenuity for what's next, but can we educate the next generation of people thinking the way I got into this industry, that's pretty freaking cool. Maybe there's something there for me and have them come in and help push this farther and grow more what maybe you and I even think is possible. I mean, there's many, many people I've ran into that are way above my train of thinking here and way past the mark that I've ever hit. I'm like, that's incredible stuff. (laughs) I mean, I was 20 years old, 19 years old when I walked into the biosystems engineering lab at Clemson. I'm like, what is going on in this place? I didn't even know this place existed. I've been on campus now for seven months. What are we doing here? The little biodiesel biodiesel reactor and they're growing the algae for the test and pulling those oils out. I'm like, holy moly. Whoever thought of taking and depackaging expired date ding-dongs and ho-hos, feeding those to insects, and then crushing the insects at the pupa stage to get more meal to feed uh, chickens and get some some fat to make uh, sustainable aviation fuel. But someone did think of that, and they're going after it right now. So, yeah, sustainable aviation fuel. I mean, we could have a whole episode, maybe even a great guest on that to talk about it more. But uh, there is fats, oils, and grease-based fuel finding its way into planes to fly people around the world. Who would have thought that was a thing 30 years ago? Yeah, take so. baking grease right now, Matt, after you, you, you fried a, a sandwich on the weekend or something like that and set it on your counter and then think about what that looks like when you're 38,000 feet over the Arctic uh, Circle and you're flying to China. I mean, you really want to fly around on that, but at the end of the day, the chemists have figured that out and they've done a really great job of it. And so not only is it sustainable, not only is it renewable, but it's safe as all get out. And it's, yeah, it's, the- it's, it's not new. It's decades old. The, the baking grease on the counter is a point of contestation in our house. Because one, the dogs love it. So that's great. But I I live a life and live in an industry where you don't throw grease down the drain. One, because I know the challenges and I have some amazing, there's some, some, some old tweets from some wastewater treatment plants that are unhappy with the, what they call the fog cement or the fog rock blocking up their two and a half foot diameter pipes, fully clogged with fat soles and grease. But also my wife's like, well, why don't you just throw it out? I'm like, there's reuse in there. What are you talking about? There's value in there, right. That's calories or BTUs. You wouldn't throw it away. 
And then she goes, well, do we have to leave them on the counter? I'm like, well, what if I need it? <laughs> so it's really funny. They sit next to the stove. It's great for re-greasing the pan. It's great for the dogs. And when I get too many containers, I bring it to a recycler and let them recycle it into a feedstock refill. So basically how it goes in this house, I have three containers full right now. And I've been asked, when are they going to the recycler? And I said, three is still okay to be on the counter. <laughs> bring it to the plant next week, Matt. We'll make a few out of it for you. Come on, bring it in. And part of that is why... I know you feel, and I feel this education is so important, how much grease from turkey frying is about to happen here in two weeks on Thanksgiving, and people throw that on the grass. They're done in their at-home fryer, fried up their turkey, and they dump it in the grass. And biodiesel, traditionally from feedstock, maybe around 80 to 85% yield. I know renewable diesel, the new is all much well in the 90s, but you dumped five gallons of of grease, of cooking oil, of vegetable oil, of animal fat, whatever you fried in on your lawn, and you gave up four gallons that you could have put in a truck. 30 miles a gallon, you got 120 miles down the road that you just poured on your grass. And that's part of the education that I want to bring to people because people, it's not their fault. Our industry has done not the best job educating and informing. So Matt, what of- should people do with their turkey fryer grease this Thanksgiving? I mean, we're almost to Thanksgiving right now. That's a good point. So what should they do with it? So behind any restaurant, and I don't advocate going and dumping in another at a restaurant spin, but if you ever went behind a restaurant, majority of them have a bin reclamation system for their fryers. They drain their fryers, they pour it out back. Many municipalities have themselves recycling centers where you can go recycle your cooking oil there. I would search for your local recycling if you do not have local waste vegetable oil recycling from your municipality. There's two other options. You could either search online for your local used cooking oil recycler. uh, And there's definitely a company in your area that either they might have a bin at their facility. You can go just do it there or go to your restaurant, ask the manager, hey, I got some grease. I don't want to throw it away. I heard these guys talk about that. uh, The company who will get it from you will make some fuel out of it. And I think it's a better option. Can I pour the five five gallons in yours. And most of them are going to say yes. So there are options. It's that willingness to go the route to not throw something away that has value. And yeah, I'll just put out there, Matt, if, if, if you're in a location where you can't get it, let's pretend you're in the middle of the boondocks and it's just too far. Like why would you spend five gallons of, of gasoline to go try to recycle five gallons of diesel, throw it in a five gallon bucket. And if you ever started a bonfire on your property and it's winter time or it's a little bit wet outside, that's a great BTU enhancer. And it's not explosive. So unlike gasoline, which has its own problems, and please never try to start a fire with gasoline. Please, never. But gosh darn it, that, uh, that leftover uh, soybean oil or turkey fryer oil is fantastic. It'll sputter a little bit because there's some moisture in there. But once it gets going, it's a, it's a great source of energy. Yeah. And pouring it on the ground isn't ideal. It's not like Actually, it's waste. We, we, we shouldn't pour it on the ground because what, you, what some people don't know is, is when it rains, that will run off into the, into the water. That creates a film on top of the, our lakes, rivers, and streams that, that actually can block out. Well, it blocks out sunlight, blocks out a whole bunch of things. We don't want that in our water supply. As you were mentioning about our, our, our pipes, we don't want it going down the drain. We also don't want it in our lakes, rivers, and streams. That's a big no-no. So if you have to throw it away, if that's the only choice, you don't have a bonfire you're going to light or there's no restaurant close to you, please put it in a sealed container and put it in your trash can. That would probably be the best thing. 
and and not just that that thin layer of film also reduces the oxygen transfer between the air and the water. And if people didn't know, fish breathe, so they need oxygen down there too. And it's gonna kill it's gonna kill fish in your local ponds. Don't, yeah, don't 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 dump it. Yeah, don't. And pouring it out is not ideal. (laughs) If you think you really want to feed some animals, like you've got some hungry coyotes in the area or something along those lines, then just leave a bucket out there. They'll come by and take a sip of it from time to time and and go to town. But I I really prefer, as Matt, you said, find a local recycler. If you can't find a local recycler, find a local restaurant. If that's too far away, use it to start your next campfire. Save it in the garage. It's not going to go bad. And the next time you're making a trip someplace, you can get rid of it. And then worst case scenario, if you got to dump it out, seal container. Like my grandmother, for example, she used to put it in old, uh, remember the old orange juice cans? She used to mm-hmm. take the drippings, put it in the orange juice can, put that in the freezer, and when that was full, take the frozen grease out and throw it in the trash can. Keep it from being and, messy. And the other no-no, do not pour it down the drain. Don't. Uh, never down the drain. Never. Down the drain is almost worse than on the grass, and on the grass is already a no-no. Why, example, don't, why don't you want it down the drain, Matt? So water treatment. So anything that goes down the drain has to be treated, and that treatment, the effluent of the treatment goes to our water system. Well, it's very hard to treat fats, oils, and greases. They do biodegrade over time, but the treatment systems at many municipalities are built for more for septic, more for human waste, not as much fats, oils, and grease waste. So here is the pipe for the flow to the wastewater treatment facility. And this fat, oil, and grease is just built up in this pipe so much that water couldn't flow down your municipal sewer system to get to the treatment plant because the extended buildup of fat, oils, and grease, it'll clog your pipes in your own house. Anyone who's left grease on the counter knows, or fat, fat-derived grease knows that it will solidify. Some oils similar to coconut oil or palm oil, those will solidify at room temperatures. and you can wreck havoc on your plumbing. So please, 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 for your own safety, don't pour it down the drain. Yeah, unless you want to call a uh, a plumber uh, in the middle of the freezing winter to have your pipes unclogged, yeah, just don't dump it down the drain. You'll see even right here, uh, Aurora Water, they're already prepping for Thanksgiving, already pre-getting out to the, the people of Aurora. Please, please, please don't put it down the drain. Their best option, and I, maybe uh, we need to reach out to Aurora Water out in Aurora, Colorado, their best option is to uh, seal it and throw it in the trash. Hopefully they can listen to us about some other opportunities to uh, recycle it, but still better than throwing it down the drain. Let's go a little bit into the calorie versus the BTU, because this is a fascinating topic to me. And in the fog cycle as a whole, there are so many branches. I guess historically, a big branch is what am I using this product for? And for a while, a while it was energy, and then it was eating and then it's why am I eating it? Why am I using it for energy? The calorie versus BTU is still is still the dichotomy or the binary today for a lot of fats, oils, and greases. Well, we can simplify this. Let's just face it. There are some things you want to eat. There's some things you don't want to eat. So you mentioned the ponte before. There, there are some fats, oils, and greases that are just, they don't taste good. Or they're hard to eat, or they hurt us, or they make you sick. And so those products can become BTUs. And they can become BTUs in different ways. We can, as you pointed out, and thanks to Rudolph Diesel, we can pour them into our diesel engine and we can combust them in an engine. Or the big ships that all run big diesel engines, they can pre-treat even, even heavier fats uh, to run out there. And of course, now we can, we can run them in airplanes, as we talked about. But we can also put them on our campfire. We can also make a torch out of them. We can make candles out of them. 
there are different ways to turn those either into a light source or a heat source that are out there. And then thanks to human ingenuity, so remember, okay, we've all seen the Neanderthals and you've got the mammoth grease and maybe you do your hair up or you do something fun with it. Well, we've got the cosmetic industry. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know, but your cosmetic industry relies heavily on the molecular chain of your triglycerides and reformulates those to make everything from your lipstick to your eyeliner to your blushes, your mascaras, et cetera, et cetera. For those of you who have kids, I'm sure your kids probably have some crayons. And believe it or not, there's some, there's some triglycerides in those crayons. So if you see your kid eating those, those crayons, well, there's a reason they probably do that. Believe it or not, there's a fat content to those, and uh, they're not altogether unhealthy fats. Is, is uh, that why I was eating those when I was younger? They taste <laughs> the blue one always tastes the best to me. Well, there you go. There you go. So yeah, we, we, we've got, but, but the calorie BTU, let's just, let's just put them in two big buckets. The ones we want to eat, like olive oil, we want to eat olive oil. It tastes good, delicious, it smells good, uh, goes great by itself. I mean, just get a little piece of bread or cooking something more complex with it. And there's the ones we don't want to eat when it hits the ground or that fatberg you showed me a picture of. I don't think you want to recycle that one to eat that one. I don't think anyone would recommend that. So those are the ones we can easily categorize as the BTU and not just the, just the edible piece of it. And there's one, I wouldn't even call it a caveat. There's a, a very interesting intermediary step that has come kind of in the last, in, in the inception of biodiesel, and that's used cooking oil or waste vegetable oil. After you cook with the grease, it was fun, or the, the oil or the fat, it was fine to eat because whenever you put something in a fryer, it's going to absorb some of that fat or some of that oil. But what do you do after you've cooked with it? And you've degraded it. And now we've created a little bit of an industry. You can't reheat it before. Maybe some animals could eat it. Maybe not, depending on if it's. We used to take all those fogs, Matt. We take all those triglycerides. So you take leftover uh, scraps from when you're harvesting animals or chickens or, or, or pigs or believe it or not, as disquieting as this is, the roadkill from the side of the road, that sometimes that would go to a rendering plant and then get mixed up into a slurry of fats. That would then, of course, make its way back into animal feed as a fat ration. So what's interesting about most most grains that we feed to animals, the world is protein deficient. It is not uh, carbohydrate deficient. But we want animals to gain weight. And just like us, we gain weight better when we eat fattier foods. I'm sure if I got on the scale after the holidays, uh, you'd find out that I probably added a few pounds because I ate some, some, some fattier foods. And the same thing with the animals that we consume. We're giving them a fat ration to help them bulk up so that we can consume them. And they taste better, too as well. And and the interesting part is a lot of that or pretty much and this is where the term grease comes into play. So you have your fats which traditionally now even insects are your harvesting fat, but traditionally were animal renderings. And then you had your oils traditionally, maybe now you have algae, but traditionally were plant-based. And now you have grease. Grease is kind of a mixture of triglycerides that you can't directly determine what the home is. Was it fat from a pig or a fat from a cow, or was it from soybean or was it from canola? You don't really know. That's just going to make it a grease. And that's kind of how fats, oils, and greases is a term, not because any one particular item is grease, but a culmination of them together without any direct identification, it's going to make it a grease. And it's kind of the catch-all category of the three. It's very necessary when you're asking what type of product it is. Eh, it's grease. It's grease. Right? No one knows it's grease. Back so, then, there was a, there was a, there was a product name uh, for decades that was used. It was called yellow grease. It had this nondescript color, 
had an iodine value somewhere between 80 and 120. And it was a, just a hodgepodge of stuff. And that yellow grease uh, kind of had its own commodity price exchange, not much different than, say, gasoline or gold or money. And it was traded uh, like a commodity. People would buy it and uh, determine where it, would do, it was going to go. And some people burned it. So there were, when I first got in the space 20 years ago, there was a whole industry in the Northeast that was consuming that in waste oil furnaces, in paper mills, for example, because that as a BTU, it had more value than say heating oil. So they could mix that stuff in and just burn it all day long. And they love buying it. And then of course there was the animal industry where they mix this back in with say soybean meal, as you mentioned, or canola meal and fed those back to say chickens or pigs. Yeah. And I think a lot of the discussion now, calorie or BTU, especially with the growth of the renewables industry and things like a yellow grease or a used cooking oil and restaurant collections specifically or industry cook facilities specifically in, in creating that feedstock is the economics. Which one is going to pay more for the product now? Are they going to pay more to feed the cows? Or are they going to pay more to make a gallon of biodiesel for that feedstock? And I guess from that standpoint, there is your calorie or BTU. It's not even for humans, should I eat it or should I not? It's for the economic side. Am I going to, for collectors and for for traders and for brokers and for, I guess, feedstock suppliers, it's which one is going to pay me more at this moment in time? And that goes back and forth. Well, the good news is decision is not solely economic. I mean, so, so back to the things that we cannot consume as a calorie. So I can give you some crazy examples. So up in, in Canada, and this is kind of a sad story. So some of our listeners, the facts of life sometimes are tough here, but when horses have outlived their, their life, people that care for their, their horses don't just let them die. They, they, they euthanize them the same way you euthanize a, a, a dog or a cat. And you can imagine how much of that, that chemical is needed to kill a horse, say, versus put down, say, a cat. And, and that, uh, that drug is called pentobarbital. And it could end back up in the leftover grease. And so some of those products are not products we want to make any calories out of, okay? And since some of our fuel producers are, believe it or not, first stage of it is actually, they're, they're by federal law, FISMA law, they're food producers, their byproducts end up back in the food stream. We have to make sure, we have to be very careful and cautious and ask a lot of questions and make sure that those products don't end back up in the food stream. So while the highest order might be economic, there are certainly regulatory controls and ethical controls that might limit our decision-making process uh, for the reuse of some of those byproducts. Completely agree. And that's right now a huge push by the EPA in yeah. forcing traceability of these items because Absolutely. there has been, and I really recommend everyone going to read Extra Virginity, going back in time in the inception of the fats, oils, and grease industry. Fraud, unfortunately, fraud, lying, deceit, unknowing, I guess, or, or, or knowing, direct or, or knowing, unknowing yeah. or direct deception of what the product actually is and what it contains more now than ever with advancements in science. It's really it's more easy to determine what's in the product and what's not in the product. But if I but, don't know to test for moon rocks, I sometimes don't test for moon rocks. And so we, we can't we can't always uh, test for everything in every product. And that's where we just have to be good stewards of, of these processes and make sure we ask as many questions as humanly possible. And, and if we don't know, then put it into, put it into a BTU, get it out of the calorie bucket. Right. And that's, and that's the fallback. If I can't, and that's where FISMA and the food and drug administration, along with the EPA help make that choice sometimes easy. 
Uh, Absolutely. Because I can tell you, we we have a whole supply chain where the molecules are indiscriminate. We cannot tell exactly what they are, and they end up right into a giant tank in the Northeast, and that gets blended in with your your heating oil and your diesel and those products. I wish I had uh, my coffee still here because I'd show everyone the example, and we deal in bulk liquid. So while your fat might be solidified on your stove, through the entire process, imagine that you put it on your stove and you warmed it up to keep it liquid. We keep it liquid as much as we can. And for its use case, some animal feed will let it solidify and mix in, but all renewable fuels need it to be liquid in order to make their fuels. But the challenge is when you take two liquids and you mix them together, it's really, really challenging, especially if they're similar structure-based, so water-based products. Like if I took my coffee and my water, which I would have done here, and I would have poured them together, how are you going to get coffee and water separate again back in my glasses? I'm not. They're both water-based products. Same thing, and this is why you have the grease category for fats, oils, and greases. As soon as you take two triglycerides that are both liquid and you pour them together, separate products, poured together and you mixed it up, it's very, very, very almost, it's, I wouldn't say impossible, you could do it, but the cost to separate those out is so astronomical, you'd never do it. So now you just have a grease product and what that product is, is super, super important in knowing the origins. So there's a very big push on origin, product origin identification and compliance. And it really went into law in 2022. And now we're really starting to see it ramp up in its implementation and governance. So big shift. Our industry has talked about how much, I wouldn't say nonsense, but nonsense has gone on in, in fraud. And they're like, okay, we'll finally do something about it. And here we are. So, Matt, it's funny you bring up, you know, we try to keep these things liquid. Uh, kind of a funny anecdote. So as you know, a lot of these products get shipped in rail cars. And for, for the listeners and the viewers out there, when you're traveling down the road the next time and you see a, a rail line, they're the big black long oval shaped uh, tanker cars that you might see out there. And they might have GATX or TILX or something like that on the side. But uh, a lot of those cars actually have coils inside to keep those products either heated or I'll add steam when they get to a destination to heat those products back up and keep them liquid. Well, kind of a funny story. Someone that was bringing in some palm oil brought in literally a vessel and they, they, they brought it in and they offloaded the vessel into a tank and then started loading up rail cars and they loaded them in the wrong rail cars that had no, uh, no steam. So they, they basically decided to make themselves a whole bunch of candles and, uh, they spent the last 60 days right now trying to, uh, how do you, how, once you get a solid fat onto a rail car, uh, and this is in the Midwest, by the way. So it's been a little cooler, as you said, a little colder in the nights. Uh, how do you get that stuff off the car again? That's, I wouldn't say been there, done that, but I've definitely, uh, taken a shovel and scooped some solid yeah. fats out of a tank before. And the challenge there is product integrity. And this is what gets back to all of it. You could thaw it out quickly if you do what we call live steam. You take your steam and you stick the pipe right in there and you shoot the steam in the middle. But now you've added water and steam is chemically treated to stay consistent during processing. You've added steam and chemical and it's no longer a virgin palm oil product anymore. Yeah, I'm not feeding that to a human. And immediately, if, if you had plans to feed it to a human and you had a place, if it came, palm is... Uh, what ninety ninety five percent of palm is from Indonesia? Is that the? Uh not not quite, but yeah, it comes from that area of the world for 80% sure. Eighty yep. percent of the eighty percent from the the Oceania Islands area. When you send it here, you generally sent it to someone who bought it for a specific purpose. And if they bought it for food and you threw steam in there, now uh, they're not going to be too happy. 
I just can't go to fleet anymore. So been there, been inside tanks, gotten shovels. Sometimes that's the only way to do it. And uh, if you can't heat it up, you're in big trouble. So Matt, you've talked a lot about what fog is. What are what's not fog? What what are things that people might confuse and think that is a fat oil grease, but actually is not fog? So motor oil. So motor oil. Yes, the word oil is part of motor oil. Most motor oils now is synthetic oils. Those are not triglycerides. So fog is triglycerides. Motor oil. What about, what about Vaseline? It's kind of greasy. Vaseline is a, is a grease, but Vaseline is a petroleum product. So the oh. a, a big delineation in fats, oils, and greases, the way we say fog and the way our industry says fog is it is not a petroleum-based product. So petroleum-based products, your diesel fuel, we have biodiesel. Your gasoline, well, we don't really have a gasoline. Your things like your Vaseline, Vaseline is a petroleum-derived, it's a grease. They call it Vaseline grease. That's not what we consider a grease. Like before I mentioned, grease is when you just mix some fats and oils together. You don't really know which one, where it's derived from. But petroleum-based products are not fog. Your motor oils, used or virgin, are not fogs. And mixing those in is a huge detriment to renewable fuel production, especially the low-carbon fuel standard, especially the low-sulfur diesel. And just like diesel has to have the low-sulfur value, so does biodiesel. There's generally no sulfur unless you're dealing with a feedstock that might have some more in it, like chickens tend to have, chicken fat tends to have a higher sulfur content. But motor oil tends to have very high sulfur content, and when you're mixing it in, you're going to really degrade your product and it does make it challenging to produce a fuel that is road legal. Not that it's harder, harder to produce the fuel, but to get it to its road legal quality is now more of a challenge because it wasn't supposed to have sulfur in the feedstock. So those are really big things to know. While we are part of the energy world, petroleum-based products and fog-based products are completely two different lines. And our goal is to complement those petroleum-based products because as far as we know now, they're a finite resource. Yeah, the easiest way I think of it is fog products that we would touch and, and use are naturally derived. They would come from a plant or an animal. If it didn't come from a plant or an animal, chances are it's not something we want to look at or call fog. Yeah, you gave the short answer. I gave the long answer. <laughs> so it is interesting because sometimes it's a little challenging to explain to people what I do or what industry I'm in. And I've gotten better over the years, but I still get the the family members or the new friends or the friends of friends or the my friends' new spouses or explain to them, oh, like when you change your car's oil. No. <laughs> There's a whole other market for used motor oil processing. It's actually very similar in concept and structure to how you set up a used cooking oil business. You still got to go around to locations. You still got to collect the used product. You still need to bring it back to your facility and you need to process out the what we'll call undesirables in the product. But they're used for con- two completely different avenues and completely different post purposes. And you do not want to mix them. Although there was a time, maybe a few decades ago, where you might blend in some waste vegetable oil, albeit maybe not legally, into waste or, or, or reclaimed or reprocessed used motor oil because the used motor oil resale market was better. And people did do that. Whether or not it's the ethical or the right thing to do or altering product chemistry is a different discussion. But people running a business who wanted to look at the bottom line of their dollars did that. 
I cheat, try to keep my answer simple. So if someone c- confronts me in an elevator and says, what do you do for a living? I just say, I'm a used grease salesman. If they want to know more, I'll get into it. But uh, I'm just a used grease salesman. So that's, that's the, the, the Paul day. Dickerson elevator pitch. That's, that's the elevator pitch right you there. Got the on the background. Hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? I'm a used grease salesman. Pretty much. <laughs> so does that spur conversation or does that hinder conversation? What's there's a 50 50 here. It generally has a desired effect in elevators. <laughs> So it's like a fart. Not many people want to go beyond that, that, that question. It's like, okay, I'm done with this one. Keep going. But anyone that's truly interested will, will ask them, wait a minute, what does that even mean? And then, then when you tell them, when you give them the, the, the slightly longer answer that, that we manage co-products and byproducts from oil cooking or oil chemical, commercial cooking, and the animal protein world, primarily for renewable energy, that gets people really going. But who has time post an elevator to have that entire conversation? So I just stick with them and use grease salesman. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use it for those who may or may not know. I'm not on the the trading aspect side of buying and selling used cooking oil or any fats, oils, and grease for that matter. But uh, maybe it's an easier segue for me too. Just tell me you're into used fat and see what they say. <laughs> Lefto- I can left- just... Leftover bacon grease. Well, the good thing now is with the podcast, I can just tell them I'm a fat guy and then they could there assess that for themselves. So. Matt, we've talked about what, what, what fog is. We've talked about what fog is not. We've talked about some of the uses for fog. What are some of the more obscure things that you've heard about that we use fog for? So there was a, a company I dealt with, and uh, after making biodiesel, so biodiesel is a product derived from fog, they would take the biodiesel and they use it as a pond liner. Now, we said don't pour your fats, oils, and grease down the drain. You don't want it, don't pour it on the ground. You don't want it running off into the water systems. Yes, we don't want that in an uncontrolled manner. But what this company did was they took it and in the smaller local ponds that really aren't fish ponds, that more are retention basins that were experiencing an overgrowth of algae blooms and really they wanted to control the algae growth, they would use that for the thin layer because biodiesel... Uh, it's a solvent. It's a methyl ester. Biodiesel, fatty acid methyl ester is a solvent, so you can use it on the top rim of the water. I'm assuming and, you're talking about unblended biodiesel, so this was not B99 or B98. This no, this is B100. You can use it as a top film, and based on the size, and they do their calculation, how much you're supposed to add, etc., it would help control and either if they wanted to completely kill the algae growth or if they wanted to just control it and decomposition, right? Biodiesel is biodegradable. They would add it to really control algal blooms in local ponds and municipal ponds and, you know, your neighborhood pond. There's no fish in there, but you want to keep the color and you don't want the algae or things to grow that aren't supposed to grow that are going to alter and make it more challenging. Then you got to drain it and then you got to clean it. So it's a super interesting use case for biodiesel. Because but I want to hold you accountable. Is biodiesel fog? Biodiesel is not fog. It's a fog-derived product. Okay. So it was so interesting that they go down and they take the fog, they make it, and I'm thinking I'm going to throw it in my Jetta. They're like, oh, no, we sell it to this company, and here's everything they do with it. So super, super interesting because when I started in the industry, my thought was, yeah, they're going to make biodiesel. We're going to throw it in cars and trucks. And it's like, well, there's really niche use cases that this product is like the only thing, one of the only, let's say, ecological friendly ways to do it. They don't want to use harsh chemicals. They don't want to, they don't want to add too much foreign chemicals or go through the remediation needed to drain, dig up, 
kill off and, and refill. So I was really, really interested in, in that niche, niche use case. One of my favorite stories, believe it or not. So again, you have to think about how old this is and how, how, how long we've been using animal fats just as human beings for different reasons. So as lubricants, there, there's a product when we, we harvest pigs, we, we call that leftover fat in its rendered form choice white grease. And it's a colorless, semi-odorless product, pretty solid at room temperature. That depends on what room you're in. Down here in Florida, might be a little bit less solid than, say, Matt, up in Chicago where it's 50 degrees. But in the steel industry, they've been using that as a, as a rolling agent for over a century. So in the molds, when they're pressing steel or rolling steel between the, the giant wheels, they'll keep that as a natural product for rolling out steel. Fascinating. The other yeah. one that I thought was really interesting is anyone that's ever, uh, like, so like whipping cream in your house, there's a triglyceride in your, in your milk product, your dairy product. Obviously, we take that out most of the times and make ice cream or we make butter, cheese, other shelf-stable products. But you whip that up before and you've created whipped cream. Well, imagine taking choice white grease, okay, and whipping that up and turning it into whipped cream, so whipped, whipped pig fat. And then when you're pouring, like, Matt, you live in Chicago, so all those skyscrapers they're building. So when you've got code, you're also an engineer, and they say they want this much concrete between floors, okay, by volume. But I want to decrease its mass. So I don't want as much weight load on the structure of the building, but I want the volume for fire code or for noise or something else. They'll actually inject that, let's call it that, that fat cream, that choice white fat cream with concrete and use it to create a lighter concrete that meets the same percentage of volume, but lowers its overall mass for the engineers to carry higher loads at the building. Which is fascinating because uh, yeah, that's beyond my pay grade. So if you want right, to know that's, how that's done or who's doing that, that's beyond my pay grade. I can't tell you that one. Well, and it just goes to show there's there's so many fats, oils, and grease products. There's a plethora of them out there from all different animal sources, obviously now bug sources. And then, so it's not just, I got the fat. What are its specifics? What temperatures does it set up or not? Cloud point. When is it? The iodine value, how dark or light? And then what crazy stuff can I do with it? Can I whip it up and check it into concrete? <laughs> like, Which is just... It's completely separate from the binary of uh, calorie versus BTU. I don't know what it ends up being classified as from our concepts, but it's just, it really is incredible the things people can do with fats, oils, and grease. Yeah, making, making crayons to making concrete or, or to making chickens. I mean, we use them in, in so many different places. But by the way, that conversation started when I was on an airplane going out to a convention in Las Vegas. And the guy next to me said, what do you do? He did the whole, you know, what do you do thing? And I said, I'm a used grease salesman. And he goes, oh, really? Tell me more. And uh, we went down the rabbit hole from there. And then he was in the concrete space. So we were both going to the same city for different conventions. He was in concrete. I was going out there for the biodiesel convention years ago. And it just so turns out that his company used this kind of, uh, let's call it aerified fat in their concrete pores. And there are still lamps. There's still lamps in in Israel, there's still lamps all over Italy that only run on olive oil. Absolutely. And we live in 2023. I'm lucky enough to live in a society where there's electricity everywhere and we don't have any lamps that are oil-based. But, I mean, you've, you've traveled much more around the world than I have, but you get to some of these places and they're like, yeah, we could plug in, but we've been doing it this way for thousands of years and we kind of like it. And they just haven't changed their ways. And they're still changing out 
the olive oil or pouring it in to keep it going. And they're just still running olive oil lamps. And that's just the way they like it. Yeah. Back to your, the book you keep bringing up, Extra Virginity. I was blown away by the, the sheer amount of olive oil that was produced and consumed back then. And I can't wait to go back to Rome next time. But apparently there's a like a pseudo man-made mountain just outside of, of Italy. And they kept the amphora, which would have transported and stored the olive oil, in a separate trash heap away from everything else. And this is also fascinating because they used to use all the leftover clay shards as infill on the walls. So you're building a brick wall and you layer up some brick and then you'd use these old pottery shards and sand and gravel to kind of fill the wall. But they knew the oil products would degrade the mortar and the building construction. So they kept that pile completely separate. They were that sophisticated. And apparently that's like a several, what is it, like a couple hundred feet, something like that high and contains like 50 million M4 or yeah. some crazy number. There, Don't quote was- me, read the book. Yeah, read the book. I thought it was like 40,000, but it was an absurd amount. And the fact that they had the, I won't even say ingenuity, but they had the know-how, the the education, the know-how, the intelligence to forecast how to not make buildings fall because of the oil and how long they'd been using it. And I'm sure they'd used it a couple thousand years before. And they were like, you know, the building didn't last long enough. We need to stop doing that. And uh, they made the change, and that's why you see so many old structures there. Matt, you made you made me Google it. I had to do it, and uh, I found good old fashioned uh, Wikipedia here. So let me pull this up real quick here. Monte Testacio. I don't speak Testacio. Italian, unfortunately. Testacio. But here it goes, containing an estimated fifty-three million oh, amphora. Much, much closer than I am. <laughs> but it was it was much shorter than I thought. It's only one hundred and fifteen feet high. It's crazy how many uh, how much olive oil that the romans used to consume in that world and as you pointed out it was for various reasons everything from you wanted to to eat with it you wanted to lubricate things so you can think about all the mills they used to use for crushing grain and rope manufacturing and dyes i mean they they were very sophisticated users of that and i think that's the theme that i want people to get out of this podcast more than anything else matt is that we think of the world today as very wasteful and it's totally true that we as human beings on a globalized basis could do a lot better upcycling, recycling, and reusing a lot of the things that we do. And it's shameful that to me, we live in the richest culture the world maybe has ever seen in the United States. And that something like 30% of our landfill waste is residual food waste. Like this is just the scraps from the restaurant you scraped off your plate or the food you didn't eat or that turkey fat you were talking about that you dumped in your yard. I mean, 30% of our food goes to the landfill. I mean, it's just shameful. However, when it comes to uh, when we, the animal rendering industry, when we, when we consume an animal, at least at the point of production and turning that into a protein, the leftover bits of that animal, every scrap shred molecule of that animal is reused. And we only touch a small portion of that. We touch the, the fat oils and grease portion of that. But if you go to the, the pet food industry, for example, all the leftovers, bone meal, the blood meal, the feather meal, those all get turned into proteins, uh, nutrients, and, 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 and calories that get reconsumed. Or if we can't, they might go into the ground as fertilizer for the next generation of crops and the next generation of animals. So we're really, really efficient. More efficient than the Romans were, more efficient than, than the ancients were, uh, far more efficient than, than, than the Neanderthals chasing woolly mammoths off the cliffs. But we still have a long way to go. And feather meal. I never even thought about feather meal until literally three days ago, talking to someone about feather meal. And he's like, yeah, there's not much money in it, but it's better than throwing it away. <laughs> and 
He goes, just imagine how many chickens we're doing, how many feathers we have. We have a lot of feathers. And it's just, I just, they found so many uses. And he goes, yeah, the biggest one, I mean, historically we've made pillows and you use it as stuffing and it's a filler, but they're always trying to find new things to do with it. Now, but, now uh, we burn it down and anyone that's ever harvested a chicken at home will find, know that the, the when you're defeathering the animal and the feathers kind of hit the ground and that kind of stuff, the rest of the chickens run over and try to eat those feathers because it's so high in protein content. The feather is very, very rich in protein content and they're consumed pretty readily. I'm, you have dogs. I mean, how much do your dogs love to find the feather on the ground and try to gnaw and chew on those things? Yeah, feather. Well, they're vacuums, so anything. But some things like a feather that I think, I, why are you eating that? They're trying to eat. So They're trying to eat it, right. They, they try and eat the grass too, though. So, so, but let's focus uh, on fog. So, so we've talked about some, some, some fun things that we do with fog. Where does most of it go today? Like, so if, if, if the grease from behind that restaurant or the animal that we're harvesting today or the oil seed that we're crushing, so the canola or the soybean oil, or maybe it's the fruit in the case of the olive, where does most of that go today? Most of it here domestically is now renewable diesel, or it's the big put, or is it still biodiesel? It's still food. The bulk of our the bulk of our product is still food. So today we still use we still use tallow for food and candles, olive oil. We don't we don't we don't take any olive oil and make biodiesel out of that stuff. We we consume it at least once first. We still use it for food today. It's the highest order. So soybean oil, most of those pounds still find its way into into food supplies in the McDonald's. Well, yeah, I, I guess it's after the cooking that uh, a lot most of the virgin goes there, and then it's the post cooking. It's your used cooking oil. It's your or waste. It used to be waste. Waste vegetable oil. Now it's called used cooking oil. Used cooking oil is finding its way every day to renewable fuels. Absolutely, uh, it's the next. It's the next iteration of the fog cycle. And now you actually are using a fog molecule twice: once for food, and then once again. So once for a calorie, and then again for a BTU. Yeah, which is fascinating. And I think what's really fascinating, Matt, is that, that so we're really good at that we're the point of production. So if the point of production is that, like you mentioned, that chip manufacturer or that restaurant, we're good at saving it at the at the scale of point of production. But we're not good is where we don't have scale. So your house, you fried it with a little five gallon thing of fryer oil, you fried your turkey in there. We're not good at reusing that product. Another place we're not good is in the food waste area. So again, we use some crazy numbers here. Some percentage, big percentage, like 30-ish percentage of, of landfill waste is residual food waste. How much of that is oil-based product or contains oil that we're not recovering back out? And today, there's some really neat innovative technologies out there and companies that are actually depackaging oil. They're like little mayonnaise packets you might get from a fast food restaurant. They're literally depackaging and crushing that mayonnaise back out, which is roughly 30 to 40% oil, and taking that oil back out of that, that mayonnaise packet. Yeah, and anyone who's uh, had a salad dressing, oil-based salad dressing in their fridge, left it for so long, forgot about it, and then take it out, and they just see the stratification of the seasonings and maybe the egg or maybe the dairy and then the oil, that oil is recapturable. So where it was used as a calorie and then it didn't get used in its original use case and now can no longer be, maybe it's expired or maybe mold started growing, whatever, you can now depackage those items and then process and recover that 40, 50, 60% oil and send it over to renewable fuels. Got it. And after you do that, you get your plastics, you can get your plastics clean and go recycle your plastics. So now you've really hit uh, the old two birds with one stone. 
you've recycled your plastics. Those haven't gone to landfill. And you recycled your, I guess they're called dressing sauces and oils, DSO. You've recycled the oil out of there and spared it from going down your drain for those who pour liquids down the drain when they think they're bad or done with. Now, landfill diversion is, is in its infancy right now. It's very low right now, but there's a lot of corporate missions out there. And some of the bigger companies that, that everyone here would deal with are making their mission to, to divert as much of that product as they possibly can away from the landfill and to recycle as much of that as humanly possible. So it's exciting to see how much more fog we'll get out there. Yeah, and especially the, the direct-to-consumer, your grocery stores, your, your big wholesale stores, they have items that expire every day. And by law, you can't sell an expired item on the shelf. So then what? And the landfill diversion is definitely a topic we'll get into. But that's a, the next step of what are we doing not just to throw these things away? And our space, we've done a pretty good job of with fats, oils, and greases as let's just not throw these away or they only go to animal feed. Well, now our space is kind of expanding in, okay, we've done very good here. What else can we bring into this space? So I'm very excited for uh, the future of landfill diversion. Next time, next episode, we're going to focus heavily on restaurant recycling and what's kind of morphed or formed in the in the restaurant recycling world. A lot of changes, especially with biofuels coming into play and making uh, used cooking oil a more valuable commodity. So really excited to talk about restaurant collections and restaurant recycling. That'll be a lot of fun, Matt. Look forward to that. For more industry insights and education on how you can interact with the circular fats, oils, and grease economy, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, and ring the bell to get a notification when our next episode drops. Follow us on X at Fat Guys Podcast and find out more information on our show site, thefatguyspodcast.com. Thanks for stopping by.